Welcome to Rainy Day Rabbit Holes, a uniquely Pacific Northwest podcast. I'm Shay. I'm Jody. Let's fall down the rabbit hole. Well, hey guys, thanks for coming back. So last week's episode was becoming way too long, so we had to split it up. There was just too much to unpack in this case, so I blathered on for, I think, like two and a half hours. Anyway, we just wanted to remind you that Although, yes, I am a true crime nerd. And even at one point, I even hosted a true crime trivia at a local brewery. So, yeah, I I do know my true. I know my true crime. Um, Oh, and the local brewery is gone now. RIP Counterbalance Brewing. Was that up in Georgetown? Georgetown. Yeah. So good. Counterbalance Brewing, your Kushetka will always be my favorite Russian Imperial Stout. I have two cans left. Ooh. And I'm making them last. Special so, occasions. Maybe exactly. you need to break it out when we drop our first podcast. And oh, celebrate. there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's my very last two cans of Kushetka that ever will be. Kind of makes me hard. cry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I promise you we will be covering more than just serial killers and cults. So this is not a true crime podcast, yes. I promise. It's anything Northwest. <laughs> exactly. Well, please enjoy me telling Jody about this crazy story. All right. See you after the episode. We're back from the break. All right. Hi. Jody had to take her pants off again. <laughs> it's a theme. I know. Actually, I was expecting, I brought a t-shirt today. So just for everybody, we we record in Jody's office and usually it's really hot in here. So I brought a t-shirt so I wouldn't have to be here in my bra because I've already done that one time. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely becoming winter. The weather has changed. Yes, it is fall for sure. All right, guys, I'm going to give a little bit of a content warning here. Now, we're not a true crime podcast, so I'm not, I'm not including gory details, all right? I'm not going to include any details of how people were murdered or anything like that. But I do want to let people know that there is mention of sexual assault, there is mention of murder, and there is mention of sexual abuse of a minor. So if you don't want to hear anything about any of those, then you can skip this last part. But I promise you, I'm not getting into any detail of anything. I'm just stating that the thing happened. So it's going to still be fairly safe. Okay, so here we go. Trigger warning given. Trigger warning is given. All right. Now, I got most of this information from a documentary that I watched on YouTube called Ghosts of Highway 20. Um, And it was a really great documentary by Highway Mm -hmm. 20 in Washington. Highway 20 in Oregon. Oregon. Yes. While I was researching any killers that were active along the Oregon coast, and I found that thing about Jay-Z, I stumbled across this documentary series. And the name alone, Ghosts of Highway 20, really perked my little rabbit ears. Absolutely. That's a rabbit hole ready to roll. Exactly. So your little claws were digging away. I know. I'm like, ooh, itchy, itchy, ooh. What's this? Because... We are ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, we're kind of dorks. I'm very familiar with Highway 20. So Highway 20 connects Newport, Oregon out on the Oregon coast. I don't need to say Oregon so many times. So it connects Newport all the way out to Bend, which is in central Oregon. So it goes over these mountains and over the Santium Pass. Now I know where you're at. Yes. So I've personally traveled this highway many times, especially between Bend and Sisters. Sisters is one of the little cute little mountain towns up there. And it has a really lively art scene and it has a really great brewery. Uh Three Three Creeks Brewing. (laughs) <laughs> and they even have a summer rodeo series that wow. comes there. I'm and it's a that. it's a really cute little town. It's a really popular destination in the summertime um, for those who might be camping at nearby Camp Sher- Sherman, which is a resort along the Metolius River. Did you say resort? There's a resort and there's camping and the Metolius River is really, really pretty. And it's just a great place where people might be going up there to hike in the mountains. And so they stop there. That sounds fabulous. I can't decide if I prefer a resort or camping like I kind of I don't want to be in between I haven't I want to be personally or living on the dirt I I haven't been there personally so it might be more of a like large campground but I don't know I think Uh, I think that there's more like facilities out there um and in the winter time the town is often a place for skiers to stop to like grab provisions or a bite to eat or some gas before they head up the mountain to hoodoo so hoodoo is the big uh ski resort up there Mm-hmm. My mom and I, when she lived out in Terrebonne, we would we would go up to Sisters a lot to go. We like to go to their little art walk that, that they would have. You know, I've seen Sisters. I've th- seen things about Sisters uh, multiple times. I have an f- acquaintance from high school whose mom, I believe, lived there, and he would go visit. And 
It seemed so intriguing to me. I wonder, uh, maybe we got a rabbit hole of the sisters. sisters it's a Oregon. really cute little town. I've always thought, I oh, God, I want to go there. Or just the name alone. Yeah, it's really, really cute. I don't know why I got so high there. It's really cute. It's so special. <laughs> and, oh, <laughs> little sidebar, there is a spa there that does a treatment where they fill a bathtub with beer and sprinkle hops in it. And you can sit in that. And I've always wanted to do it. But then I'm like, but then I feel like I'm wasting beer. Right? I'm like, I just paid $75 to sit in beer. Does it come with a straw? Would it be gross? Can I do couples bath? Because I'm sure your husband would love to get in that bathtub with you. But he would think it was a waste of beer too. Well, you guys could just get straws. (laughs) I was about to say, does it come with a straw? Is it it gross to drink your own bath water if your bath water was made of beer? I don't care what it's made of. It's gross. (laughs) It is gross. Yeah. Your butthole goes in there. Yeah. Skin. Skin (laughs) shape. I'm a nurse. Your skin is pretty gross as well. Naturally, it's supposed to be, but you don't eat it. You uh, don't want I it mean, on the inside of you. I kind of eat it a little bit. I chew my nails. <laughs> I chew I chew my hangnails. Oh, no. So I definitely eat my own skin. I am a self-cannibal. <gasps> oh, I'm sick. Gross. You're going to get that prion disease. J- Jacob <sighs> Krushfield, uh, a.k.a. That is why I don't go swimming in fresh water, at least put my head under theirs, because that's when the, the <laughs> amoebas amoeba go up your nose. Prions are not amoebas, but kind of the same. The, the, the prions will eat your Oh, brain. that's mad cow disease. Mad cow is, yes, yes okay. Jacob Crucial. Okay. Mm-hmm. Man, we keep going on tangents. Right. It's okay. me. Sisters. Yes, sisters. Where the fuck was I? Sisters. sisters. Okay, yes. So almost to Hoodoo is a great snow park where my mom and I would go sledding. So, and this is all along Highway 20. So we would stop in Sisters at Bymart to get our little snow park pass and some beers because you can't go sledding without beers. And then we'd head up and go sledding. So I am very familiar with that part of it. I hadn't really been much further than than the snow park very much. I think I've gone that way a couple of times because you can go all the way over Santiam Pass and you end up south of Portland. You end up about in McMinnville if you take Highway 20 from Bend over. And then if you were to continue going, eventually you would hit the beach. So that's Highway 20. So from Central Oregon all the way to the coast. Wait, I believe I took Highway 20 from Corvallis to Newport once because my daughter played soccer at Oregon State. Yeah, because Corvallis is more like along the I-5 corridor. Yes. Uh, And then a little off. Yeah. 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 And then you Oh, yes. You take Highway 20 off of there. Then you get to Corvallis. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This just a couple months ago, I was visiting a friend in Bend and... My husband wanted me to stop in McMinnville to look at some patio furniture. So instead of heading back up Highway 97, like I normally would go, I went over Highway 20. So I actually traveled this whole thing to McMinnville. I didn't go all the way to Newport, but Mm -hmm. just a couple of months ago. And so I can attest to this is a lonely, desolate piece of highway. It winds through the forest. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it is. It is. Farmland to forest to the coast. Not a whole lot of farmland out there in this area. So between Bend and when you get past Santan Pass, it's forest. I gotcha, mean, yeah, there gotcha. might be some ranch land with some grazing cattle. There's definitely grazing cattle up there, but it's woods and it's high desert to a point and then it becomes just forest. Gotcha. Windy, lonely, not much of anything between sisters and like Lebanon. Most of this story comes from that documentary and the very comprehensive investigation by Oregonian journalist Noel Crombie. Okay, I hit the mic, sorry. <laughs> We're sloppy tonight. Yeah. Anyway, uh where the fuck was I? Oh my god. We're Jody. going to I'm sorry. I got to stop asking questions no, while you're telling your tale. Don't stop asking questions. Okay. Because that would be boring. <laughs> yes, nobody keep... just wants to hear me talk. <laughs> You're going to give a recitation of your... It's like a book report. Exactly. <laughs> I'm getting graded on this, Jody. <laughs> All right. So far, it's an A. Thank you. I'm giving you an A. Okay. So I got to find where I was. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, yes. Okay. So most of the story comes from the comprehensive investigation by Oregonian journalist Noelle Crombie. She began investigating in 2016, and she created a five-part series for the Oregonian detailing this case. Now, I spent years being completely obsessed with true crime. So before COVID, through COVID, and then finally in COVID, it was so dark, I had to kind of give up true crime. We broke up a little bit. And I still watch some of it. But my knowledge of serial killers is about 100 times greater than my knowledge of math or geography. (laughs) It's fashion. Ask me about a serial killer, I can tell you who they are and where they're from and what their moniker is. Ask me where Indiana is, and I will struggle. <laughs> so, you know. I'm with you on that. My husband makes great fun of me. I get frustrated 
because I just, I used to play this game, uh, Atari, and it was the capitals and states. And I played that thing for days, hours and days, over and over for weeks. And literally, I still can't remember where stupid states are. Oh, yeah, I can't either. But math is worse for me. I can, if you put me on the spot, I can barely do basic arithmetic. I oh. can do it if I'm not, if nobody's watching. Usually it involves me picking my nose at the same time because that's how we think my best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm disgusting. I'm disgusting. You've, I haven't seen that yet. I'm never uh, try to hack into my computer camera because oh you're my just going to see me pick up my nose. Um, but yeah, no, you put me on the spot and I can't even do arithmetic. It's, it's so embarrassing. Anyway, I used to I save digress. my math homework in college for when I was I needed a break from my other studies. That was my fun time. That was like doing a crossword really? puzzle. Yeah, I loved it. Aww. All of it. Till statistics. That was different. Oh, God. But I did love my math class. I, my job actually involves a lot of statistics, but I, I mm. anyways, let's let's not go down that dark hole mm-hmm. of statistics and math. Yeah, I'm good. I'm traumatized by it. I flunked, I flunked that class three times. I didn't flunk any. Yeah, others. I got a D. I got a solid D in that one. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> so passed it with all time. of my vast knowledge of serial killers, which really disturbs my husband. <laughs> I had never heard of this case. And I thought I was pretty familiar with most of the serial killers who had come out of Oregon. But this one I'd never heard. So a case, one case. Well, I mean, the case is... Okay, gotcha. This is happening in the same... Okay, yeah, guys. This is... Okay. So the story begins with the tale of Marlene Gabrielson. In the summer of 1977, Marlene and her husband dropped their three-month-old baby off with a friend so they could go out for the first time since she had given birth. So they wanted to go out to the sister's rodeo, which was about 90 miles away from where they lived in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. So when you're out there in the middle of nowhere, fun takes a while to get to. So it's all along Highway 20, all of these towns. So they made the 90-mile trek from Lebanon and set up camp near the rodeo. So there's a campground around there. And they sat around the campfire drinking beer. They enjoyed the rodeo. And later that evening, they were both a little bit drunk and they got in a fight. And Marlene decided that she just wanted to go home and be with her baby. This was the 70s. Hitchhiking was still a thing that people did commonly. That baby's over 50. Around 50. Hold on. I was born 47? in the 70s, I know. <laughs> 47 could yeah. be 47 yeah just a couple of years i was born in 79 i was two yes, 72 72 oh i thought you said you were two when you were born you were also no, no, born no, in 79 yeah, 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 no, no was... <laughs> yeah, let's just go with that let's go with yeah. you were born in i was seven when you were born yeah <laughs> you're at my brother's age my brother was oh. born in 72 mm-hmm. oh it's a good year yeah. your brother's got a good year yeah okay we're digressing <laughs> anyway 70s hitchhiking it was a thing. People hadn't figured out that it was a bad idea yet, apparently. She was asking around this campground if anybody was headed back towards Lebanon and could give her a ride. This stranger said that his buddy, John Arthur Ackroyd, could give her a ride. Again, 70s, hitchhiking. She didn't think about think anything of it. She got in the truck with the two guys. John dropped his friend off somewhere on the way. They weren't clear about it. But as the friend left the truck, Marlene noticed that there were no door handles on the inside of the truck. The friend had to reach through the open window to open up the door. And she also noticed at the same time that there was a 22 rifle in the cab and there was a hunting knife sticking out of the lid of an old coffee can. So she noted those things were weird, but she was still drunk. So she ended up just drifting off to sleep, you know, like you do on a long ride. It's late. It's after midnight when she found this ride. So she dozed off. And then later on, she came to because she could feel John's hands around her calves and he was dragging her out <gasps> of the truck. And she hit her head on the door frame and then she could feel a knife against her throat. <gasps> That's where I'm going to stop there. He sexually assaulted her at knife point. She knew that she had to just go along with it to survive. So she didn't put up a fight because they're out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, she's not screaming for help because yeah. there's no point. There's no point. She's not fighting because she doesn't want to die. She wants to go home to her baby. After it happened, he said, I'm not sure what to do with you, which just mm. gave me chills. Yeah. So that's, that's a moment where whatever she does, whatever action she takes, whatever word she says, she lives or dies by. Exactly. And she probably knows that in that moment. Yes, absolutely. Ugh. She convinced him to take her home because she's in the middle of nowhere. He took her home to her house? Well, that was my thought too. I was like, no, don't don't have him drop you off at your house. They get, but He's agreed that he would take her home. So so they get back in the truck and they head back towards Lebanon. Well, between sisters in 
Lebanon is Sweet Home. Yep. And that's where John lived with his mother. And he actually stopped at his house so he could go inside and go to the bathroom and get a drink. And Marlene sat and waited in the truck. So the reason she didn't... Undetained, unrestrained. Right, unrestrained. The reason she didn't run away is because she was like, I need to report this to the police and I need some sort of evidence. She's like, I can't, she couldn't see the house number. She didn't really know where she was. She wanted... And also she wanted to get all the way to where she was going because it's the 70s. There's no cell phones. There's, you know... <sighs> You're stuck and you're at the mercy of strangers. She sat and waited for him and he came back out and he kept driving to Lebanon. And when she actually had him drop her off at her mother-in-law's house, not her house. And when he dropped her off, he's said something along the lines of like, will you be my girlfriend? I want to see you again. And she knew she just had to play along. And she said, sure. And to get evidence about him, she said, please give me your phone number. So she got his phone number. Wow. And then she hauled ass out of the truck. So she did a good job convincing him, not only was it safe to keep her alive, but they could actually continue to have some sort of relationship. Right. Stunning. And for those that don't, I mean, you can't see on a podcast, but my jaw is on the floor and I'm in shock over this story. I mean, I'm really impressed by her presence of mind with this terrifying situation. Her survival skills are... Her mental survival skills are incredible. So Marlene runs up to her mother-in-law's door and pounds on the door. Remember, this is like wee hours in the morning. Mother-in-law comes to the door and she sees Marlene's pants had been torn off of her. Her underclothes had been cut off of her. So she was wearing a nasty old pair of pants that John had had in the truck. She's bruised. She's scratched. There's dirty. There's, yeah, Mm -hmm. there's leaves in her hair. Obviously something has happened. She told her mother-in-law what happened. And her mother-in-law is like, oh, you need to go get in the bath. You need to wash him off of you. And she said, no. She's like, I can't wash him off of me. I have to go call the police. So she called the police. They did a rape kit on her. And in in the 70s. Yeah. -hmm. And so she reported this attack. And even though the rape, rape kit showed signs of sexual assault and she was bruised and scratched and she gave him her clothing that were, she had gathered up the clothing he had ripped and cut off of her. Wow. And she gave that to them. The police were skeptical. Even then. They even asked her to do a polygraph. Whoa. And they said that it showed signs of deception. Yeah, of course it did. They went to John and they asked him about it. And not only did the person who went and talked to him say, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm, the charges are going to be dropped anyway. They did a polygraph on him and they said that no deception was determined. So he would face no charges. Of course. Now, she's feeling guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. He is not. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Polygraph. That's what's showing up. Okay. Another digression here, guys. Polygraphs are trash. They only show levels of stress. So being under a polygraph is stressful. Being questioned is stressful. It does not tell anybody if you were telling the truth or not. They are not admissible in court. If somebody asks you to take a polygraph, you always say no. I, I've taken one. Have you really? As a victim. Came out inconclusive, even though I told the truth. And this person snuck into my bedroom in the middle of the night and was rubbing my leg when I awoke. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's an- another rabbit hole because the police officer didn't like me. His daughter was in the same class as I and uh, hid the file because he didn't want anything done with it. He retired. This is really another rabbit hole. And whoever replaced him found it in his desk and called me and said, we need to deal with this. And then they, the person, I knew who he was briefly. I'd met him that night, that evening before. He was a came with a friend to a party, and that's the only time I'd met him. And he'd just gotten out of jail for rape. And oh, yeah, my ex-boyfriend is who he came with, and we hated each other at this point. So he dropped him off at my house, showed him where my bedroom was, and how to get in my window. What the f- Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. And so after it was unburied from the police officer's desk drawer, uh, that police officer sent someone to my home. I identified him. They sent me for a, a polygraph, which it came back inconclusive. But I mean, the guy went to jail. Oh, well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Jeez. 
there was other investigative tools that they used. Okay, but that's good. just a, that's just for me, my experience of a polygraph. And I completely don't trust them. Yeah, no, never. I ever... was nervous. Sure. I was feeling I had snuck out of my home that night. And I was in high school. Oh, so there were I lied to my parents. So you had had deception had over a year about later. Something... Oh, geez. Sorry, my ex boy. I mean, there was just yeah. all these things, emotions involved. What a, yeah, well, now I wasn't lying at any point. Yeah. Not at any point was I lying, but it couldn't be determined on this polygraph because yeah. there was so much emotion. Polygraphs are junk science. Junk science. It's junk science. Sure. Never, ever take one. And remember this, guys. If the police ever ask you to come down to the station for a chat. Nope, lawyer. Up. You say, sure, I'm going to go ahead and give my lawyer a call and he'll call and make an appointment for us both to be there. That's how you handle that one. And if they say, if you did nothing wrong, why do you need a lawyer? And you're like, I did nothing wrong, which is why I need a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And <laughs> actually, I actually don't say anything because you don't have to, you don't have to justify having a lawyer. It is your right to have a lawyer. And you just say, I'll see you with my lawyer. Bye guys. You don't have to actually, unless they arrest you, you do not have to go anywhere with the police. Uh, okay. There's is my that is my yeah, public absolutely. service announcement and, and anybody any police officer i've known personally will tell you the same thing mm-hmm. they would not go in there without a lawyer you know right they that's their first bit of advice for someone that they're not trying to actively arrest right or As somebody who listens to a lot of true crime i have listened to a lot of cases of people who have been falsely accused and uh falsely mm-hmm. imprisoned and a lot of really predatory police work has put them away and I just, I don't. Well, and and there's just the whole, I mean, let's go take 10 steps back to the perspective of a police officer investigating crime. They're, you know, they don't have the answers. They're seeking the answers. So they're pushing for the answers and they're going to use every tool they have to do that. So it doesn't, it's not always, you know, them being um, dirty or whatever. It's just doing the job and everybody's trying to get to the answers and sometimes... Sometimes, though, they have a preconceived idea of what the answer is. And so then they are just trying to push for what will fit that answer and make that answer Sometimes being right is more important than being right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Anyway, okay. Again, we digress. (laughs) I don't even remember where he was. Oh, oh, yes. Marlene took this polygraph. They said that she was being deceptive. John took the polygraph. Cool as a cucumber. Now, did I mention Marlene's Native American? And poor. There you have it. So there and we this go. This is the seventies. This is not the seventies. Not that it's all different now, but now Marlene, in her interview, incredibly brave woman to speak up about this. She said that the reason that they didn't believe her. You looking for the wine? Yeah, <laughs> I saw you peeking around. Yeah, why don't you refill us? Okay, hold on. A break Here. for a wine refilling. Well, they thank you. You're welcome. That's either her refilling my wine or her peeing into a glass. You'll never know. <laughs> oh my god. We keep urinals in here. Okay, you just cheers. Really went crazy on that film of yours, didn't you? Oh <laughs> that's a home pour. Uh-huh. Here, <laughs> give me some of that. <laughs> I was just okay. emptying the bottle. <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay, Marlene said that the police didn't believe her because she was native, poor, and ugly, which (gasps) I saw the picture, which broke my heart that she described herself that way. So they didn't, those aren't words that you found quoted from the police officer. She said that about herself. And that was just so sad. I saw the pictures of her. Ugly. Beautiful. Now, this documentary, all of the interviews were in black and white, which I think isn't the most flattering to anybody. Right, and probably poor quality too. So like, it wasn't grainy-ish. It was a little, and she's not ugly. Okay, guys, that's. But maybe to people in the seventies, because they're fucking racist. Right, you're Native American. Native American, so you're Mm. yeah. So there, there's a lot of Native tribes out in that area. So there's there's quite a bit of Native population out there. But yeah, I mean, to them, she was trash. Not only because she was poor, but because she was native wow so anyways so yeah so nothing came of that ever ever so she literally had all the she could identify him she knew she where had he his lived. Fucking phone number his house yes yes and that wow do you think is she still alive she is she was in this documentary she was heavily interviewed in this documentary and is he still alive do we know no no but we'll get to that because i'm wondering if there's still dna on 
I guess it doesn't matter. No, the 1970s, what they're saying is this wasn't, they probably, for a rape kit, they would have thrown all that away. So the, what they're saying is sex happened, but not, but it was consensual. Yeah, John said that he gave her a ride, but that she seduced him. Oh, gotcha. And that the sex was consensual. Gotcha. Of course. I always seduce people by sleeping in the back seat. Just pull me out by my feet. Mm-hmm. What the hell? Exactly. Yep. I really love it when you rip my pants off. Cut them off. Anyways, cut them off. Well, he ripped. I'm going to say I, there I, are people like this. <laughs> I mean, there's. Okay. We're, mm, no. Anyway. All right. We're moving on. We're moving on. Okay. I'll, that was 19, I'll stop interrupting. That was 1977. So that was the beginning of our tale. So the morning of Christmas Eve, 1978. A spunky marathon running blonde named Kay Turner laced up her Nikes, which that's another Pacific Northwest thing. Yeah, Nikes. I was just going to say Oregonian. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, so she laced up her Nikes and headed out. Oh, wait, actually, hold on. On the, on the subject of Nikes and Central Oregon. So where my mom lived in Terrebonne, you had to travel down this road called Lower Bridge Road. And there was a lot of big, like there were farms there, like like cattle farms and stuff. And there was this big, beautiful house out there with this huge riding arena. And uh, a couple of times a year, they would have a yard sale there and you would go and it would be full of Nike gear, brand new Nike gear, and especially Nike gear that was branded with Oregon Ducks. Well, it turns out that that was Phil Knight's sister. Ah. And her daughter went to, wait, the Ducks is what? Uh, University of Oregon. University of Oregon, mm-hmm. yeah. Her daughter went there. And so she had everything was Nike and branded so my mom like my mom got a patagonia puffer jacket that was brand new for twenty dollars and i got all wow. these r- nike running shorts that were brand new for but they like all had bucks. oregon decks on them not all of them. oh thank god sorry i'm a northwest washingtonian and my daughter went to oregon state so i'm not really a duck fan oh um I- i'm not a sports mom <laughs> so I, I really don't give a fuck <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everyone who's like real up in arms about I'm, I'm a much, sports teams. I'm a much sportier person for sure. Yes, I do appreciate sports. <laughs> yeah, you're the sporty spice of this what relationship. I, I am ginger. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. Digressing. I'm sorry. Do you see the blank look <laughs> behind my eyes with this subject? And I'm terribly passionate. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, just, a, I'm just about to pass out. I was an athlete from the time I was born. <laughs> I am not athletic. Okay, let's love it. let's move along. Okay, so 1978. Kay Turner laces up her Nikes and she heads out for a run in the frosty air. So this is Christmas Eve, 1978. There's snow on the ground. It's cold, but she is in her cute little yellow running shorts anyway. So in her, 78, they were really, really they short. They were very short, yes. But <laughs> she was a marathon runner. She was in great shape. Her and her husband were vacationing with friends in Camp Sherman, aforementioned Camp Sherman. And she left about 8.15 a.m. And she said that her run would take her about an hour. So several hours later, she still hadn't showed up. Her husband decided to drive through the camp and look for her. So when he did not find her, that's when he called the police. So a massive search ensued because she, like, where would she have gone? She was running. No trace was found of her. However. That's why I don't run, though. (laughs) I only don't run is because my inner thighs rub together. Oh, my goodness. Lights my panties hose on fire. (laughs) She's smoking. (laughs) Um, So uh, John... Ackroyd's name actually did come up early <gasps> really? on because a state highway worker told the police that he saw John, who was also a state highway worker. He saw him driving along shortly after he saw Kay Turner running on the road. So this is the same guy. The same guy. Oh. Mm-hmm. John Arthur Ackroyd. When questioned, though, he said he'd gotten off work early at 6.30 a.m., and he was driving through the camp and he there was some cockamamie story about how he had a friend who was down on his luck and needed food. So he was going to go poach deer for him. So he's going to do a different illegal activity. Right. But he's not guilty of this one because he was busy doing that. Other right. One. But he Got said it. that he passed. He's like, oh, yeah, I passed a runner. But never said that he like actually sure. had interaction with That gives with him her. an excuse for being in the area. Right. So but the detectives were like, okay, whatever. They were focusing on Kay's husband as a suspect. Right. Because they found out that Kay had been having an affair with not one but two men. And her calendar showed that she had seen both of those men in the last couple of weeks. So she was spunky. She was an active she was lady, getting it not on. just a runner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's active in many ways. So of course they focus on the husband. I mean, normally they do, yeah. right? And so if most common... Mm-hmm. Um, well they say that we'll get we could get into this actual statistics of that later and it's actually not but oh really oh yeah another rabbit hole yeah but it's it's a common 
it's a common concept. Gotcha. The day after Christmas, people who were searching, and there were these, there were some people who were really knowledgeable about tracking. They found these sets of footprints on one of the trails, and it was frozen into the ground, into the mud. The footprints. Yes. Mm -hmm. So one of the sets was a waffle sold runner, like like K's Nikes, and the other set was a boot print that belonged to a heavy man Mm. and the tracks showed a scuffle and then the lighter person being dragged off the trail by the heavy person i was wondering Uh, okay but the police again were like meh i don't know doesn't really seem like much nothing happened it's fascinating to me both of these cases like this is pretty blatant evidence (laughs) well i would imagine that the you know the perception is like oh well you know She's a cheating lady, so must have been her husband, and so they're not focusing oh. on anything else because they're like, "Oh, this will be this will be easy." It, or right? Sure. She's that type of person. This she must have been asking get. for mm-hmm. it because not only was she a woman who enjoyed sex, she also was a woman who enjoyed running in the outdoors. And God forbid, she got right? to combine them. Oh my God! And those yellow shorts. I mean, uh, obviously, she was short. asking for it. <sighs> Anyway, this is where we're very similar. I know. (laughs) So eight months later, John walks into the store in Camp Sherman and the shopkeeper recognized him because some months before she had caught him jerking off in the aisles to a media (gasps) magazine. In the aisles? You can't even take that magazine to the bathroom? Come on, man. And she had ran into the back to get her husband, but when she came out, he was gone. So she recognized him as the pervert who was fondling himself in the store. Anyway, so he told her that he had found, specifically, Kay Turner's remains (gasps) while he was out hunting with his dog. Wait, who did? John. He accidentally just finds this woman He accidentally finds the remains. Specifically said her remains. Now, this is eight (gasps) months later oh got it okay and this is what he said he said i'm in real trouble i was the last one to see her alive (gasps) oh wait you forgot that you didn't see her alive you found her remains she wasn't alive gosh so he led the investigators into the woods about a half a mile from where she had been running the previous winter oh my god so he leads them to where the remains are and investigators thought this was really odd because here's what the remains were there was a couple of little bones there was a jawbone and scraps of her yellow shorts. So so how did he know that was Kay Turner's remains? How did he even know it was human remains? Most people would have been like, you know, it's bones. just some trash and maybe some animal bones. Right. But he specifically said that those were Kay's remains. Now, here's something that they talked about that sent a chill up my spine. So when they were, when the investigators were out there searching for any more remains, one of the investigators leaned against a tree and looked up. And right above where they had found her skull, which was not even where John had found the remains. away by an animal, I'm sure, a scavenger. Looks up and there's a bird's nest and it's mostly made of blonde hair. <gasps> oh, got me like shivers. I didn't. I actually did. Yeah. I got little goosebumps. It was oh Kay's my hair. Gosh. Oh, oh, oh. Right above. Yeah. I'm sure that bird was very comfortable though. Right. That I was thinking. And you know what? If that happened to me, I'd be glad that ha- that a bird took my hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oof. Oh my. Anyway. Gosh. So so now they have hair though. Right? Yeah. So okay. they know it's Kay. So all they had of her was a skull, a jawbone, and maybe some other little bones. Scavengers have obviously taken her remains. And then some of her clothes, like her bra, her shorts. Um, I think her sh- they found her sh- running shoes. But it was scattered. It wasn't where all where he had found those remains. He took them to like the shorts and a couple bones that were later identified as animal bones. But there was a jawbone. How did he know it was Kay Turner's remains? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Because he, he knew. did become their prime suspect, but they had no physical ev- evidence against him. And his story kept changing. His new story was that he had actually found her body two months after she went missing. He had found her on top of the snow and he described knife and bullet wounds on her body. And he said that the reason he didn't tell the police was because he's like, oh, well, they would suspect that it was me who was the killer. (laughs) So then he also changed his story about like what he had been doing at the time and who he was with. So now he wasn't alone. He was with his buddy, Roger Dale Beck. And that's who he was going to go poach deer with. And both men had discrepancies in their story. But Roger Beck's wife gave Beck an alibi. Mm. 
So put a pin in that one too. Okay. So then in this time, and this was just a little blip, there was a little monkey wrench because a convicted felon confessed to the murder. So of course the investigators started looking at that and that took up time. And then they later discovered. Distracted. So they were distracted, right? And then it turned out that he did not, they they didn't convict him of this. And, but they had no physical evidence to tie John to Kay's death. The case just stalled out. So John's just living his life. I mean, I feel sorry for, for murderers and rapists now i mean back then there was just no evidence like it was so easy you could just be sloppy i know you're like i'm gonna leave my dna everywhere i'll just spread it everywhere no one's gonna know gross (laughs) gross okay john's just living his life so he's a highway worker so he has not a prostitute not a a sex worker (laughs) highway worker so he has an oregon department of transportation truck so he you know he parks his personal vehicle and he drives around this truck and he's just driving up down highway 20 all day long by himself like no oversight so he's always alone he ended up marrying a local woman named linda and he moved in with her and her two children and she lived in santiam junction now santiam junction is not a town it is literally like the highway the highway worker like shop that's where all of the snow plows are kept that's where all the equipment is kept but there is like a little the picture showed it as mobile homes underneath like a carport like a huge oh, car- almost like a railroad shanty yeah or, yeah okay. yeah so she lived there she had two children Rashonda, who was 13 and byron who was 14 and they lost their mom at 13 and 14 no oh this the is mom yeah everyone. linda's the mom so john I'm marries following. john Sorry. marries linda who has these two children okay in this time so now we're in the now we're in the late 80s early 90s so nothing's happened that they spoke of. Now, the documentary did say that there were several un, unidentified or like mysterious deaths in this area throughout that time. There would be remains found or there was one incident incident where there were these girls that were camping and i guess somebody ran over them with their truck and then attacked them with an axe and but he ran off and they that never got solved so there was a lot of unsolved cases there were more remains found along highway 20 but they were never linked to anybody they were never solved of women were they identified bodies? some of them were yeah, yes okay. but they never so they in this documentary they actually did talk to the mother of one of the uh, women who had been found. And it it did not sound like there was ever anything that had been done to tie that case to John. But people who were investigating for this documentary did believe that perhaps that case was part of John. So that's a a pretty big chunk of time to not murder if you're a murderer, right? You know, 12 years. One of the investigators that had been active in his case told this story about there was a uh, fatal collision on Highway 20 in that area where a semi-truck collided with a Honda. Now, unfortunately, the woman that had been driving the Honda died. And the semi-truck had jackknifed across the freeway in such a way that the regular tow trucks couldn't get it out. So they needed to contact the highway department to get specialized equipment to take it out. Wow. And they also needed help getting this poor woman's body out of the Honda. So this investigator, he specifically asked for John to come in to help with this because he wanted to see how John oh because he had a, interacted he with this dead body <gasps> he had a moment so he, he had John actually get her out of the car and after he had gotten the woman out of the car John commented about how light her body was because <laughs> he had something to compare it to <laughs> and he said she weighs exactly the same as Rashonda shut up what Rashonda Pickle was John's 13-year-old stepdaughter who had just disappeared. <gasps> disappeared? Mm-hmm. Let's take a little quick break here, though. I need one. Oof, oof, oof. Whew. Welcome back, Shay. Okay, we're back. I got my, I got my relaxing pants on now. Oh, all right. At least you're wearing <laughs> pants. <laughs> Keep your pants on, Jody. <laughs> I try. <laughs> okay, all right. Where were we? Okay, Rashonda Pickle, John's 13-year-old stepdaughter, had just disappeared. It was 1990. So Rashonda's story is really sad. Wow, so, he's been at this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Or this has been happening well, I mean, for some time. Because we're talking the 70s up to the 90s. This right, like right. My whole childhood right here. Exactly. As exactly. he's been spent doing this. So speaking of my whole childhood, I saw pictures of Rashonda when she was 13 years old. And I had a pang of empathy with her because we both had terrible bangs. <laughs> 
So she was only two years older than me. And we had the same terrible bangs, you know, where you would curl one curl up and another curl down. Oh, yeah. And then you would tease it and oh, spray it. No, but then I... she also did a thing where she made it like asymmetrical. It was like really high here. And then you would wear like a ponytail, like a side ponytail. Oh, got you. Sure. Sometimes a high side ponytail. Yeah. I really rock the high side ponytail with the bangs that were like a creature attached to your forehead. You yeah, know what I'm talking yeah. about? No, I was, I was queen. I'll show you pictures. <laughs> yeah, we need to share unfortunate pictures. Yeah, no. <sighs> I don't have those. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I, one time I burnt my forehead like you do when you're curling your bangs oh under. Oh my God, I forgot. And so then many times. it got abscessed. <laughs> yes. And so I was just like trying to, to put the bangs over it. Yeah. And I actually had to go and have like something done to the. Did you ever get one of those velvet covered curling irons? They no. weren't supposed to burn you or whatever. No, no they because that would have cost money. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, then the little fur ve- would rub off anyway it was stupid. no no i never had one of those no i just had a regular like hot tools curling iron I and a can of aqua about burning mm-hmm. my forehead over mm-hmm. and over again yeah. yep so the other thing they mentioned about her was that she loved the band wilson phillips oh which me took me back to my sony walkman yes and my cassette tape yes. of wilson phillips sing a song i can't remember any I of them i know i love them and i'm trying to come up with <laughs> one <laughs> Hold on. Yes. One there you more go. day. That one? Oh my, oh my god, I pulled that yes, out of my ass. You did. And so I have this memory because I would pl- I would put my headphones on on the bus and I am a unabashed talk to myself in public, sing to myself in public person. And I do remember getting off the bus one time and somebody was like, you know, can you stop <laughs> singing out loud on the bus? Cause it's really annoying. Oh my god, that's rude. Did people go, Oh, you know who sings that song? Wilson Phillips? Leave it to them. That's what my brother would do to me all the time. <laughs> Keith, Keith does it to me all the time. So now, though, when I my brother says that to voice. me, I sing worse and yeah. louder and directly into his face. As a little sister should. <laughs> exactly. Yes. He also convinced me that my nose is abnormally large. He is incorrect. And he called me pickle nose. And sometimes <gasps> still to this day, he will do that. And so I do have a little bit thing about my nose. because That like is it. incorrect. It does not. It's not big and it does not look like a pickle. He's a pickle dick. <laughs> So, okay, that was a moment of levity before it gets real fucking dark. Sorry. All right. So dark. 1990, we all had ridiculous bangs. Rashonda was just a tiny little thing. She was 87 pounds. And her... This is the stepdaughter. Yes. 13-year-old. Stepdaughter, 13 years old. And her brother, who was a year older than her... um, That's that's old to be that light. Yeah, she was tiny. And her brother was always there as like to defend her and be there for her mm, the older brother but her. yeah but john was physically abusive to both kids so they would show up at school with bruises and scratches and was brother as tiny as Rashawn? um he looked like he was fairly slight yeah okay from the picture i saw of him so he didn't have a lot of beef to back no up. but when interviewed their mother linda was like oh no i was not aware of any ab- abuse can you, can you see my red line mm-hmm, coming up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. so at one point in 1990 <laughs> I we really need to figure I out. I barely this. touched that. I wasn't. Maybe I was we need mad, to go but back I didn't hit to that the table. Little stands. I don't know. At one point in 1990, the kids went down to Medford to stay with their biological father, Stephen Pickle, who had a very unfortunate bowl cut. <laughs> I was very into people's hairstyles. I but mean, what it was about, bad. Well, I know that era is. Rough. It was a bad bowl cut. Yeah, mm. and he also had a very unfortunate, very scummy looking mustache. But it was like. 70s porn or handlebar? Oh, I mean, it it no, it was just like where, you know, it's like you're trying to grow a mustache and it's Hitler. not quite happening. No, oh, it was just, got it. So like a teenager yeah, working hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With the bowl cut, very unfortunate look. But Was he and, a good dad though? I don't, I don't think he was the greatest dad, but he did sit the kids down because he said he had heard rumors from the family that Rashonda was being sexually abused. Mm. And so he confronted them about it. And he was very upset and he threatened to take the kids away from their mother. So Rashonda got very upset and she left and she had other family members take her back up to Lebanon or to Santiam Junction. So Byron stayed behind. So she goes without her brother, her protector. Exactly. That's when things started to get really ugly with John. So friends were saying, she had two friends at school that were sisters, that they had also suffered sexual abuse. And they said that they saw clear signs 
on her of the sexual abuse of the withdrawing and lack of personal care and depression and anxiety. And so they were trying to help her and she was trying everything she could do to not go home. She stayed at school as long as she could. She went to after school activities. She tried to stay at her friend's house as much as possible. In fact, there was one time where they actually snuck her out of the house and snuck her into their house and tried not to let any adults know. Wow. And tried to keep her hidden Mm -hmm. to keep her away from John. But nothing worked. Linda would still just bring her back home. And then Linda found out that John had been talking about maybe trying to take the kids away. And she told John. And Rashonda disappeared the next day. I have so many emotions right now. So Linda, who in this interview, appeared to be wearing an apron over a bra as her (laughs) interview outfit. Oh, no. This is mom? This is mom. And this is in 2016 or 17 when she's got this outfit on. Anyway, (sighs) Linda, put run a comb through your hair like put on something so anyway do you think she was mentally ill do you think no, she was maybe challenged mentally challenged denial just oh got denial you. denial of life i mean she's wearing she's, a bra and an apron and she doesn't do her hair she doesn't care about her kids she said that the day after rashonda went missing john comes home from work and he's super horny and he wants to have sex oh my god and so she has sex with him oh. and she said that he normally had no interest in sex at all until with her with her until Rashonda went missing. <gasps> and then a couple days later, Rashonda's pants were found in the woods. And they showed them to John. Investigators showed these pants to John. And they said that he got an erection <gasps> and a wet spot showed up on the front of his pants. Gross. Like just looking at Yeah, just like looking just at her pants. Like he remembered <sighs> what he did to her and it got him off. Gross. And Rashonda has never been found. Her mother still denies knowing about the abuse. She... Is she alive still? Yes. They interviewed her for this documentary. She claims that she couldn't believe that John would ever do something so terrible to her. She says she just can't believe it. She's in total fucking denial. Still, to this day, garbage. And yet others can't have children, but this woman... Yeah, this woman did. Yeah. Her brother still breaks down oh like Rashonda's brother yeah Rashonda's oh. brother he just her wants to know there. what happened to her anyway all right Whew. although investigators suspected John of being responsible for Rashonda's I'm sorry I keep saying Rashonda it's Rachanda. they called oh. her Ch- Chandy it's oh, Rachanda. Chandy that's cute. um they were never able to actually pin it on him. Instead, they returned to the Kay Turner case because they were hoping that they could find a break in it. He found her, quote unquote, yes. found her body. They were hoping to find a break in it, more evidence to tie him to that and get him off the street. So they suspected that he was just an opportunistic killer, that he was just a fucking lucky motherfucker that had gone away with it for so long. And because of the lack of DNA at that time, I mean, DNA didn't come in until the mid-90s. Like, there was just no way to tie him to this. And he was always alone. And it's a rural area. And nobody sees anybody. Anything. Anyway, so in 1992, Sheila Swanson and Melissa Sanders, two teenagers from Sweet Home, which is where mm-hmm, John mm-hmm. lived, were really excited to go camping with their family at Beverly Beach, which is just north of Newport, mm-hmm. where Highway 20 connects to Highway 101. Mm-hmm. So they had been talking about it with friends in the local Sherry's restaurant, where they often hung out. So that was kind of like their hangout. I mean... It's really sad when the only place to hang out is the Sherry's. That's yes, that town. <laughs> correct. I mean, good pies, mm. but not a lot else. Anyway, you know who else liked to hang out at Sherry's? Hmm. Good old John. Oh, God. And he befriended. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see. Mm-hmm. He befriended the 17-year-old and 19-year-old. And he heard them talking about this upcoming camping trip. And he was like, hey, you know what? I've got a house out in out at the beach. And I was actually planning on having a party Saturday night. You guys should come. And they're like... Oh, and every 17-year-old's dream. Mm-hmm. And adult fat. who can buy them yeah. alcohol. Yeah. And they can party. And, and they can handle themselves. So right. Fine. And stories about these girls is they were pretty... They were a little bit wild. They kind of... They called them kind of transient almost. They did have family. But I think that they were... They were a little bit wild girls. 
they were the Gen Xers who were allowed to roam free everywhere, right. make their own decisions. Right, exactly. But had no guidance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So I'm raising my hand because I was one. <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't allowed to roam free, but yeah, I did not. Not, roam not free. much guidance. It I was, was figure it out. I was figure it out on your own. I was clamped down. But anyway, they ended up not going to his quote unquote party, the party that didn't exist, because they ended up going camping a day later than they had said. So anyway, so they go out with their family to this campground. And after a day of camping, they were super bored. And so they were like, we want to go home. So they called their boyfriends from a payphone, And the boyfriends were like, yeah, we're not coming out to get you. So the girls were like, fine, we'll hitchhike. <gasps> it's the 90s, girls. You should know by, better by yeah, now. By the 90s, we know better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing was heard. So they leave their parents. They leave their parents. Without even, a ride. They don't even tell them that they're okay, leaving. there you go. Okay. So the parents wake up in the morning and the girls aren't there. But this apparently was typical behavior because they were like, oh, they must have just gotten a ride home. They finish uh. their camping trip. They go home. The girls aren't there. And they're like, well, they must be off with friends or oh, something. So it ends up being several days before they're realized missing. Yeah. So before they're reported missing. And that was, yeah. So they were reported missing. So around the time that the girls went missing, a couple of co-workers of John's were at the shop, the highway shop in Sandy, or actually at the sweet home shop, late one night. And it was kind of unusual for them to be there late. It was some unusual circumstance that they were there late. And they saw that John's personal truck was there, which meant that he was out in the work truck and mm-hmm. was kind of late for him for his shift at that time. So they're there and he comes in, not expecting them to be there. And he's covered in blood. Like <gasps> his hands and arms are covered in blood. And they're like, John, what's up? He fought a bear. Well, he's like, I hit a deer and mm. I had to gut it out on yeah, the side of the, the freeway. Way. And they're like, well, what'd you do with the carcass? And he's like, oh, I, I had just to threw gut it, it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, he told a couple different stories. He was like, I had to, I had, I threw it in the bushes. Or another one was, he's like, I gave the carcass to another motorist. Like, mm-hmm. weird. Okay, whatever. How's the car? You know, I never... I thought about that too, but I didn't hear anything about it. So that leaves some significant. If you're going to, oh no, you hit a deer and it fucks your car up. Yeah, this. My mom, I on the way back from sister's art walk one night with my mom. My mom was driving and it was dark and a deer ran out and she hit it and it makes an impact. We barely made it home. It fucked her radiator. Radiator. She had to have a radiator Mm -hmm. replaced. Her whole front end replaced. Like a a motor vehicle. Yeah, a motor vehicle accident. That's happened to my parents too, and and they were disabled overnight for that in the highway of I think I don't know if they were in Idaho or Montana at the moment, but they were on their way to Montana and it disables your vehicle yeah. these and it was in the big giant steel vehicles even. yeah and it was yeah wow yeah anyway they didn't really think much of it they mentioned it to their foreman but then everybody kind of forgot about it until a couple weeks later they heard on the radio that the bodies of sheila and melissa had been found dumped off the highway on highway 20 and a rivet a used rivet was found near the bodies and some beads from one of those remember those beaded seat covers like the wooden beads yeah 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 mm-hmm. the massagers they were to massage exactly and they also kept your ass cool so those were commonplace in the highway workers trucks and also the rivet was similar to one that they all carried because they were used for a lot of quick fix things so wow. it was you know pretty suggestive that a highway worker now did their injuries look like someone who had harmed them that the perpetrator would be covered in blood? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I honestly, I avoided looking into what people's injuries were. Sure. I just, I didn't want to get Well, I mean, it is gory enough. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing ever came out of that. But uh, all this time, investigators had been working on the Kay Turner investigation from 1978. And so they actually ended up arresting John a couple of weeks later for her murder. And so he was convicted of her murder, um, even though there was little physical evidence so it was a lot of circumstantial evidence. And one of the things that helped the case was, do you remember he said he had been with his buddy Roger Beck and the wife had given them an alibi that yeah. day? Mm-hmm. Well, the wife had divorced Roger Beck and moved out to California. Now that she was away from him, she was willing to talk. She said, I lied my ass off. Change of heart. She says he was incredibly abusive. He... Roger Beck? Yes. Mm-hmm. He and John threatened to kill me if I did not give them an alibi and if I talked to the police. She said, Roger and John came home covered in blood the night that the day that Kay Turner went missing <gasps> to the point where she burned Roger's oh, clothing for him. And then later on, he would actually brag, Roger Beck, the friend, would brag about sexually assaulting and murdering Kay. <gasps> so they did this as a team. Mm-hmm. So he 
he actually was in custody because he had been convicted of sexual assault in another case. So they were able to prosecute him and then they prosecuted John and they were able to give him a life sentence for that. Investigators did continue to work on the death of Melissa and Sheila and they did feel like they had enough evidence to bring it to trial, but because of the cost of prosecution and the fact that he was already serving a life sentence, he was never going anywhere, Right. they decided not to prosecute. As far as Rashonda goes, they did indict him on her death, even though they had never found a body in 2013, and he entered a no contest plea, which means he's not admitting guilt, but he's not admitting innocence either. So they did that right when he was about ready to be eligible for parole because they wanted to keep him sure. in prison. And he did a no contest. He didn't and find he did it. a no contest plea. So is yeah. he still in prison? He died in prison in 2016, thank God. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, he never admitted to any of these murders. He would never say where he disposed of Richanda. Yeah, Chandy. So her brother never got that closure. That's what I was wondering about these family members. Yeah. Like, how have they continued through life? I, you know, I've never experienced something like this, Mm-mm. obviously. I don't have any family members who have been murdered, let alone by a, maybe a serial killer. My children have all, knock on wood, are alive. My, I just... How do you survive this? How are they doing? How do you continue on? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but it was really, because really hard. Because these aren't your typical, these aren't Gary, well, I guess Gary Ridgway did leave behind some families too, but you know, you're not, you know, they, a lot of times serial, serial killers will try to find somebody who doesn't have family or right. anyone that will look they, for them and they feel they that they're people disposable. people who are vulnerable, people who are marginalized. Right. Because they feel that sure. they're disposable and no one will come after them. Right. It's fine. Right. And these people weren't. No. At all. And the thing that just really struck me though is the mother. Ugh. I'm infuriated by this. Linda in her fucking bra and apron or whatever, just still to this day will not not come face to face with the fact that she married a man who murdered her daughter, who abused and murdered her daughter. She just can't. Does she feel, does she agree that he killed her? Does she think that is the outcome of this? She does a lot of waffling. Okay, so she I doesn't even believe. I just can't. That piece. I just really can't. I just really can't wrap my head around the idea that John would do something like that. What she can't wrap the head her head around is that she would marry a man that would do something well, like that. Well, and she had and to have. This know, is on her and her decisions, and her job was to protect the, her children. The rumors of sexual abuse got to the biological father in Medford through other family members. Right, not even so. The, the it victim. wasn't a fucking secret. Right. So she had to have known, yep. and she just looked it over. Being she had right. sex with the fucking man yep. the day after uh, her daughter went missing. I'm sorry. Now, she may have also been abused by him. I don't know. They did not mention that. And so maybe you just give in because you are afraid of this person. I'm not going to take that away from her if that is the case. But then at least say now. Be right like, now. You could just admit that. Be it like, just I was really a f- feels like she's in denial of she's any in denial because that keeps her from being responsible for anything yes. and feeling any guilt yes, over what has happened. If she, if she admitted to knowing about the abuse, if she admitted to him killing her, then she would have to take the responsibility of I brought this man into their lives, right. and so therefore I have some responsibility in what happened to them. Yeah, it's interesting in a psychological aspect because most people take on way too much burden. Mm-hmm. They blame themselves about things that they really had no control over, but they feel like they should have been able to stop certain things from happening and so they take on this burden this guilt this shame of not protecting mm-hmm. someone when mm-hmm. they should have really is what it is and maybe they didn't cause it but maybe they just weren't in the right place right time and they will still carry that shame and blame and guilt and she seems to just shirk it yeah yeah and not put on a shirt <laughs> put on a fucking shirt linda take off the goddamn apron <laughs> Anyway, uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm focusing on the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it is a, a sign of what's happening yeah. and what's going on behind yeah. her mind. If you are in a documentary that will be broadcasted nationally, maybe even worldwide, I guess, if they wanted to really see, I mean, I can't imagine too much interest in 
that from maybe other countries, but whatever. It's probably something you could get anywhere, right? This documentary and yeah, it's on she YouTube. knows this. You're right, it's YouTube. You can see it anywhere if you want. Or and on the Oregonian. You can just get it. Yeah. Yeah. Online. And her own community is going right. to see it. And yet right. here I am in an apron and a bra. I mean, that just tells you how she perceives life her mm-hmm. own her own reputation yeah. or or what yeah. people how people see her is not quite what we would all think or do yeah mm-hmm. so i watched a lot of documentaries for true crime stuff and i'm always fascinated about what people put on for their documentary interviews yeah the makeup they put on how they do the i hair, know how the they clothes. do the hair the clothes they wear and or like, what's in the background right so exactly <laughs> There was, in one of these interviews with one family member of somebody, and I felt really bad about being distracted by this because the man was having a very emotional moment and was crying, but there was a roll of toilet paper sitting on the table next to him. <laughs> and I was like, what I was is that so doing distracted. There? I am the person that, so would I have watched pornographic movies? I've watched pornographic movies. You what? I've watched How? Porn. Where? What are you doing? On the internet. What do you do when you're watching it? Well, what I do when I'm watching them <laughs> is I look at the set design and there was a dead oh plant in one of them and I could not, I could not, you know, go there because I was distracted by this fucking dead plant next to the people who were fucking. Okay. <laughs> okay uh, a, in a different route or version, I was uh, looking for a place to stay in Victoria on, in Airbnbs or VRBO and I was stuck on this one house for so long because literally a sex swing right in the middle of the bedroom and I'm like wait that's <laughs> on your bedroom on the air <laughs> I was like no like really like I even google imaged it because I'm like maybe it's just a regular swing <laughs> and I'm just I'm just that maybe person it's like, who it's, thinks it's like that the, dirty the, the what was the um like teeter hang up like the inversion table what? maybe it's yeah. like a swing yeah, version something. of that for it's like, like for your back or whatever right, it's no, better it's, just a, it's a health thing no oh I like literally God. google image it because I'm like is this used for no literally bedroom and that was like the, the the point of the picture it was like the focal point it was well, not the maybe, bed or but the window maybe that was also the point of the listing did you right, think about that, that i did think were about there that. i did upside, not rent it were there upside down pineapples in the room not that i recall this was a long time ago so maybe the upside down pineapple thing wasn't a thing or maybe okay. i just found out about it late but i don't recall seeing that but i do recall the sex thing i was like what I just kept going back to it. Like, that's not real. Like, who should have posted that? I should. I probably have a screenshot out on my phone, but it's a long time ago. So maybe you should have stayed there. But if you stayed there, you would have to bring your own bed linens. Right. That, exactly. I'm like, I can't touch the remote control. Oh, I, I can't do anything in this house now. Was that the when we stayed at that hotel? Was that the first time you had thought about remote control being up somebody's butt? Uh, no, I'm a okay. nurse. Oh, that's right. You've seen remote, you've literally seen remote controls up people's butts. One hundred percent. Okay. What's the weirdest thing you've ever seen up somebody's butt? Weirdest? I mean, it's all weird. Like the most creative. Well, I like. Okay. Like. There was really? not, if this is not a butt, but. Or a vagina. There was a karmix in the urethra of a <gasps> penis. And the problem is, so they heated it up, put it in there, because you know, it's kind of menthol y. Wait, so, oh, they just put the, the Carmex wax into the urethra, not the whole tube of Right, chapstick. they heated it up and then put it in there somehow. I don't, okay. I don't recall. I thought this you were way. saying, I was thinking of an like, entire tube of chapstick. No, no, no. The actual Carmex was heated up, inserted in there because it's menthol and warm and the sensation's good. But, but then it's wax, so the it body wasn't solid. warm enough right, to, to keep, keep it, it liquid no. and then it got clogged. So my mom's friend who was an emergency room nurse for years and years, she loved to tell us all these stories. So oh god, the emergency it room was, is where all the stories. There were so are. many. There were so many mm-hmm. uh, sticks of deodorant up men's. No, butts, butts are a big deal. And they, People and they, are, it's the a lot. It's not uncommon. Always, it fell for on some it. reason, it was sitting on the the toilet seat. <laughs> yes. And I just we, we had somebody come in with a freaking shovel or rake. I don't know. His wooden handle up his butt, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I fell off the ladder and it landed on it." I'm like, "You're wearing." You're not wearing shorts. You're like naked. Like yeah, there thing. would be there would be fabric up in front how of did, it. How did you get your shorts off with your with your shovel up your butt? Um, she the one that freaked me out the most was the light bulb in a vagina. Oh no, no, that's not even okay. Like because they had to do surgery because yeah. they're like if this breaks, it will lacerate her vagina and she will yes. probably bleed okay, out. Okay, so here's here's <gasps> here's my tips. A tie a string Do we, we to need, whatever you no, got. Everything needs a flared base. 
Right. A just square use, base or a string or something. Toys, what it, right, I know. They're not that hard to find. They, they, you can get them discreetly anywhere or non-discreetly. And, and they are size. safe. And they are made yep. out of silicone, which you can boil, which is hygienic. A light bulb is not hygienic. No, it's A terrifying. stick of deodorant yeah. is not hygienic. Well, and the problem is people don't realize at some point when you put something in your rectum, it... It creates a vacuum. It creates a vacuum, and then you're stuck. And if you can't get your hands on it, oh no, your 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 rectum likes to suck things it's, up. It's a black hole. Yes, for it is. And, yeah. and people don't realize that because poop comes out, right? Right. And, but I mean, after there, it gets stuck. It really does. There is a very you need a way to retrieve it. Intricate and, system of sphincters. Yes. That allow poop to come out, and they are all there for a reason, and it's to keep liquid from just falling out it's to keep uh-huh. the shit from falling out of your butt it's for your bed and those things are are strong tight little suckers strong yeah. right like like even when we go extract them i mean it's not an easy process no i'm sure not you go spelunking for a tube of deodorant yeah so the one that really struck me that she talked about was a man had been alone in a hotel room and decided to put a, a coffee swizzle stick stir stick oh yeah up his urethra because he was having a hard time maintaining an erection and it got stuck. Well, he thought that would just be a... a uh-huh. <laughs> like a little splint for his wiener. And so they did an x-ray of it and she's like, on the x-ray, you could see the contents hot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the x-ray for the remote control. You can see the actual numbers yes. up somebody's rectum. <laughs> or, or the fucking Hot Wheels that people have put up their butt. I saw one that somebody had put like a dinosaur toy up there. Oh my God. <sighs> How do you think you're ever going to retrieve that? There's little pointy bits. People do not understand oh my God. The, how this works. And so they make bad decisions. No. I'm going to give recommendations. Make sure, like you said, a flared bottom, tie a ro- string to it, something yes. so you can get this thing out. Yes. Okay, we're, we're stopping this yeah. discussion here. Before you go any further, the wine is... I feel shamed. I need to see a priest. I'm going to hail, <laughs> hail Mary later. Well, everybody needs therapy after that case. Now, I hope I did an okay job of not getting too graphic or... You did a fantastic job. I'm intrigued. I think we just spent three hours and it felt like 10 minutes. I know. Not, was not it? three hours. No, I'm kidding. Hour two hours. Yeah. Two hours. hours. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. But we got through our bottle of wine almost. I think that's... We should end it. Yes. Here. Well, that was fun, guys. Uh, we will see you next time. And please remember to, I don't know, what do we want people to do? We want them to. We want to follow us uh, on Spotify or anywhere you get your podcast exactly. at Rainy Day Rabbit Holes. And then you can see pictures on Rainy Day Rabbit Holes pod on Instagram. And new, new <gasps> this week. Oh, my God. I what know. did you do? I made a YouTube channel for us yep so uh we are not actually doing videos yet because we are still learning how to actually do the podcasting thing that's too much pressure but you could if you just like to do stuff on youtube like my husband he listens to his music on youtube i don't Mm. get it i was like i have a spotify account you can just log into my spotify account but no he wants to put it on youtube so he lives through the youtube commercials and everything i was gonna say wait wait whatever all right so if you're like my husband and you just want to listen to us on youtube there is a YouTube podcast channel, and we will just put the pictures from this episode. So I'll give you pictures of whatever, um, and it'll just kind of run in a slideshow, and then you can listen to our podcast with that going on. So you can put it on in the background or whatever. And then eventually we will do some shorts on YouTube, and eventually we'll f- also figure out how to work TikTok. Our shorts will be definitely on our missions, on my our road shorts, trips. My shorts will be knee length. Uh- <laughs> I only wear kneeling shorts. Mine will be booty. Not really. I'm a grandma. <laughs> there will be no booty shorts. I don't know. She's a pretty hot grandma. I don't know. You think that because I don't show you my booty. <laughs> I saw your I booty. I, I hide that crap. You. I hide it. That's all right. I dress appropriately. I guess I did not actually see you naked on the trip. Right. Are you a never nude? I just let people see what they like. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. I can't show you my booty. No, actually, I probably could. I go braless and look, lady. We will see each other. Well, you already saw me naked. I will see you naked someday. That sounds like a threat. I think maybe you just weren't looking. Actually, probably. I don't know. Maybe I was just. I wasn't being shy. Actually, (laughs) maybe I just. Well, at least day two. Oh my god. At least day two. And the end. We were wasted, both of us, on day two. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
okay. All right. Well, we should probably end this. <laughs> All right. Well, see you next see- time and see you down, down the rabbit hole. hole.